0: Alright, so in 2 Corinthians 5, um, our goal is just the first 11 verses this morning, um, so not as much as normal, and so you may breathe a sigh of relief at that, I don't know. But, um, so, but to really get 2 Corinthians you know, 5, we need to go back to chapter 4, at least from verse 16 you know, forward, and, and in chapter 4 there was a lot in there about uh, the Apostle Paul just said you know, that he's been been pressed, and for the sake of Jesus, he has suffered you know, a lot, and that those who who want to live for Jesus, you know, do suffer for him. Um, And in verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, now remember, light affliction included, you know, beatings and imprisonment and all sorts of, you know, um, spiritual oppression and difficulties that he went through, which is... Which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit As a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I tr- also trust are well known to your consciences. Okay. So, you know, let's, let's back up here, back to chapter, end of chapter 4. And he says, you know, this, he says his physical body, his earthly body, is getting worn down. Uh, you know, and really... You know that's the state of all of us, right? I mean, you you know you kind of you're, you're born as a child and and you grow and you know you reach maturity and then you're kind of you know in your prom physically and then you know things start to slip you know a little bit and some more for so for us for some of us than for others but um, after a while you realize hey you know my my body can't do the same things that it used to do. Or if it does the same thing, it takes a lot longer to recover. But now that I'm nearing 40, the same amount of, you know, work in the yard or or playing on the basketball court um, takes longer to recover from than when I was 22 or when I was 18. That's just the reality of life. And that will continue on to be that way. Um, And eventually, you know, the normal course of events is that our bodies break down to the point that they no longer function. They pass away and our spirit, you know, we die. Our spirit is then separated from this, you know, temporary physical tent that we have, as Paul calls it in verse 1. It's a tent. And if you think about a tent, you know, if you go camping, the reason we call it camping, you know, we're going to go on this, this trip, we're going to go on this journey. Um, it's going to be for a short period of time. You know, this is a tent. It's not meant to be a permanent structure. It's not meant to be a permanent house, you know, to live in. It's, you know, for going out in the woods and enjoying creation, you know, God's creation in a more intimate way, you know, for a few days. And then we come back to our structure that can actually withstand, you know, a, a big storm or... Um, you know things of that nature. In your your tent, your temporary tent, you wouldn't want to be found just in the in the you know rub of of the big storms of of that come on our our planet. Um, and it would be difficult to live in that sort of thing. We want something more more solid. And so, really, the fact that our bodies break down for every person, even those who do not know Jesus, it, it's. Just a natural longing that God gives us for something more substantial, and we can either acknowledge that that's a clue from God that there is something more to come, and that we need Him and what His future is better, or we can just reject that and just you know write that off to the to the natural way of things. But if there's one thing as being human beings that we should understand is that death really isn't natural. That death is actually the result of the fall. You, know, you understand that if Adam and Eve you know, had never sinned in the garden, that they would still be alive on the earth today. You know, if sin had not entered you know, our world through them, then you know, we, we wouldn't have that, that issue of death even. But sin brings forth death. You know, it, it, you know, when Adam and Eve started, you know, when they sinned, that started the, the death process for humanity. He says, this though, because he's addressing in this section particularly to those who are true followers of Jesus, he says, we have a building from God. And it's a, it's a sure thing. You know, we have a building that God has made, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. We groan for it. We desire it. At least that should be the case for us. It says, If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. And this is a really interesting thing because remember, when God made you know Adam and Eve when he made human beings you know male and female and in his, in his image he gave humans a physical body with which to interact with the world and with even which to worship him and so we're designed to have a body that's part of what it is to be a, a you know human being is that we're not just spirit but that we have the immaterial the spirit and we have the material, the flesh, the physical. You know, our, we have bodies. And so when Jesus, uh, you know, came incarnate, God becoming, you know, man and dwelling among us, he put on a human body like we have that could be our representative and represent the human race, just like Adam represented the human race when he sinned in the garden. Jesus represents the human race when he goes to the cross on our behalf. And so, you know, we have this, um, this deal where where Jesus represents us, and he takes on our humanity. So he's fully God, fully man, which is really hard for us to get our minds around. It's one of those things we, you know, we accept by faith, we accept as the revelation of God as true. Um, but we see even after his resurrection that Jesus did not, you know, just you know, he wasn't just like this spirit being at that point. But that he had a real body and he still, you know, he, he ate food. And he could, you could touch, as he said to Thomas, you know, touch here in my hands. Feel here in my side. You know, don't be unbelieving but believing. You know, so physical. Now that body was physical and it was, it was different than our bodies and that it wasn't bound by some of the laws, you know, of physics that we have. If, you know, if I just try to, you know, run through that door, um, it's going to hurt, because I'm going to hit it and it's not going to go down, and I am, you know, and I might be down for a good while. But Jesus could just walk through the door, no longer bound, you know, but not bound by the physical things. And so perhaps we'll have those sort of abilities as well. That's up for debate and something we really don't need to know about or to be too concerned about. But we understand this that. We're going to be like Jesus, and Jesus you know, has a physical body even today. And so you know, we're going to have one. And so we're going to be clothed, um, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. But you know, what's wonderful about this is that it's, it's not going to be a sinful body like the one that we have now. And it's not going to be a body that's subject to disease and to breaking down like the one that we have now. Um, He says, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked, verse 3, and then verse 4, for we who are in this tent being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And so this old physical done away with, and a new physical given that will not break down. And then verse 5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. So he's saying, you know, this is God's plan. This is what God is doing. It's his working. And, of course, it has to be because none of us have the power to do any of this stuff. But God does, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And I just want to talk about that just for a minute, that when, a, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, he, you know, gives you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is on you as a seal and as a guarantee that God is going to fulfill his promises to you. And what are those promises? For the one who believes in Jesus, the promises are that you're not under condemnation, but that you're forgiven, that you're not going to you know, be under the, the wrath of God to, where you have to pay the, the due punishment for your sins, but instead you are now made justified in Jesus. He views you as just because of Jesus because Jesus is there you know, covering you. And so then you're not going to be under the power of sin. Even now we're not under the power of sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to sin. In any situation, you have the power and the authority to say no to the sin and yes to Jesus. Now, we know in our experience we are not consistent is the problem. Because sometimes we say no to the sin and sometimes we just give right into it. And you know, we're not talking about anybody being you know, sinlessly perfect before having the new tent or the new building, I should say, the, the permanence that you have um, you know, in Christ when you see, as you see him face to face and become as he is. We're not talking about that, but I... I do just want us to, to get rid of the mentality, the defeatist mentality that says, you know, well, I send a bunch today, and I send a bunch tomorrow, and I'm going to send a bunch the next day, because that's just, you know, what it is to be human. We've got to get rid of that, because if you go in to the game, whatever it is, believing you have lost, you have lost, and you will continue to lose, You know, there's there's that deal when I I love this time of year when we we have March Madness, you know, basketball tournament. You got these 64 teams, and you've got teams from little schools, and they're going against you know these you know bigger schools with much you know better athletes. And sometimes they get you know there's just blowouts. People just get destroyed. But sometimes you see something where a team that shouldn't win because they do not have the same level of talent pulls off a victory. But they can't do that without believing that they can win, that yes, they do have a shot at this. Without that belief, that fundamental belief that yes, yes, they are better athletes, but as a team we can still beat them, without that, they have no shot. They have no chance. They will just get blown off the court. And so the same thing is true in our lives when it comes to sin. If you believe... I can't have victory over sin in general, or I can't have victory over this specific sin, then guess what? You won't. You won't. But if you take the perspective of Jesus and said, you know, because again, it can't just come back to us, well, I can just muster it up. But you take the perspective back to Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, you paid on the you died on the cross for my sins. You paid it, and you freed me from being a slave to it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna grab hold of your promise that I don't have to be a slave to this anymore. I grab hold of your promise, Jesus. That I am no longer a slave, but I am a free person in you. And the victory is yours. And we walk in the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, the the Scripture says we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you understand? It's not simultaneously possible to be walking in the Spirit and to be sinning at the same time. Those things are not possible. They're not compatible. And something I love about this, that the Spirit is our guarantee. Um, 2 Timothy 2, verse... Um, 13, I believe it is, but I'll just read this real quick. I'll start back in verse eleven. It says, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Okay, so there's that again. We died with him, we're gonna live with him, we're gonna get the new the new building, the new the new body. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And that, you know, being faithful and persevering, there's reward to that in the kingdom of God. Notice Verse 12, if we deny him, he will also deny us. So that what that means is not believing in Jesus, just an out and out rejection you know, of him. And that kind of trips can trip some people up, but then 13 really gives clarity to it. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He can't deny himself. So when the Spirit... You know, when you believe in Jesus and the, the Spirit of God is given to you as a guarantee, as a seal, even if you don't live in a way that honors Christ, and you are faithless, and you get called back up into sin, God can't deny himself. The Spirit of God is still a guarantee over your spirit. Now, it will mean discipline, because God, whom God loves, he disciplines. And it may go as far as it is here, and I mean, we got to have this whole context of First and Second Corinthians. That you know, Paul says some people are taking that bread and we're taking that bread and taking that cup, but they were actually just getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and completely disrespecting what Jesus had done on the cross. And says for this reason, you know, some of you are sick and some of you sleep, which was a kind way to say are dead because God's not really playing games when it comes to his holiness. And so that should kind of give us you know a wake up call to that, but I just want to take away if we can some of that, you know, some people just walk around because there are I mean there's churches in this community who preach that if you if you commit a sin, whatever it is, and then walk out into the street and get hit by a car before you got to say, Lord, I'm sorry, that no matter what you had believed before that, no matter that you had believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead, and that you became a child of God, you would still go to hell. You know, and they, they and so many people are, are walking around, even in this community, you know, on pins and needles, going, Well, you know, just afraid. Afraid. That they're gonna mess something up and then they're gonna die before they get to say they're sorry. Well, I don't think God intends us to live life that way. He didn't you know free us um, from our sins so that we could then become slaves of fear. That that he would be the, the type that would just say, Well, now you're in, now you're out, now you're in, now you're out. You know what I mean? What, what sort of a game is that? You know, we, we don't, I mean, that, that would be a pretty, that would be a terrifying, you know, way to live. But we are going to see later in this chapter, we do want to live with great reverence and respect for God. Verse 6, so we are always confident. Now, again, that confidence comes from the spirit of God is given to you as a guarantee. It's not self-confidence. It's confidence in God. There's a big difference between those things. We're not just looking, you know, our faith is not just some 12-step program to where you, you know, you become like a better and more confident human being. That's not what this is about. So we are always confident knowing that we are while we are at home in the body or we are absent from the Lord. And for we walk by faith not by sight. Now what he's, Paul is talking about there is you know really in that physical sense again and that's the context of what he's talking about in our in our bodies you know jesus you know went you know ascended back to the father and so he's not walking around you know with us here on the earth today but jesus promised his disciples that he would you know always be with them even to the end of the age so in this spiritual sense jesus is with us says you know even you know he's even where two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus is in the middle of you everywhere you go throughout your day. But again, that's spiritually and that's through the Spirit and it's not physically, and there is a difference. Because remember again, as human beings, God designed us, you know, in the physical way to engage you know, the universe and even engage God himself with our physical senses. And so having Jesus with us spiritually, it is a little bit different than having Jesus in the flesh and being able to see with our eyes and to touch with our hands. It is different. And that's where those followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago that got to sit at his feet had a certain privilege that we haven't had yet. That a certain blessing that we haven't had yet. But we are confident that we will, that we will have that. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, that's our hope. Our hope is Jesus, with him, eternally. Verse 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now this is one of those verses that I have to confess I can't always say with truth. I can't always say this verse with truth. Paul says that he's well pleased. He would rather be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Meaning, you know, he's a, he's a, you know, remember, he's endured a lot of afflictions in his life. He's had a lot of hardship. You know, he ultimately says um, another place that it's, it's for the sake of the church that he keeps on going on. There's been times when he's been so close to death that he could have just Kind of like giving it up and died. But for the sake of the church, he, you know, keeps on going on. You know, most of us have not been pressed to that point. Most of us haven't been pressed to the point where we've had to fight just, you know, to, to keep on the next day or that day to have the next day. Most of us haven't been there. There's maybe a couple that have with some sort of battle with a, you know, disease or something of that nature. But he says what his desire is, if it was just up to him, his preference would be to go ahead and be with Jesus. Because being with Jesus is going to be so great that, you know, he doesn't have to deal with the sinful flesh anymore or the sinful world. So he can just go be with Jesus. But what it comes down to there, if we're really honest, is affection. And that we have to confess that many times our affection for things here on the earth is greater than our affection for Jesus. So we say, oftentimes, I'd rather stay here right where I am right now. Or the hope even of this next, you know, event in my life than to go and be, you know, with the Lord, and sometimes um, there's selfish motives behind that, and sometimes there's unselfish motives behind that. We have to again remember here, Paul. I mean, not married, no children. At this, you know, you know here, he, and he's lived a pretty long, you know, he's lived a pretty long life at this point, and he's seen a lot and done a lot. He's seen the world, and you know, he's he's experienced a ton at this point in his life. Now, I have to say, when I was younger, I, you know, you'll you all laugh at this. But when I was younger, you know, I go, well, Lord, I, you know, I, I read this, you know, this verse, and I, I want to live, because um, I'd, I'd like to get married, and know what being married's like, and all the fun that comes with that. So, yeah, I'd like to be married. Um, and then at point you go, well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to have kids. You know, and then, you know, you have kids, and I'd like to be, you know, around for that. You know, so there's these different, like, milestones, but but now it, now it changes. You know, I, I, it's, it's kind of funny because there's, aviation is in my family. My grandfather made the first all-metal plane, and his brother made the first all-metal plane to fly successfully in the United States. Okay. My cousin flies planes for Wycliffe Bible translators, um, all in the jungles in Brazil and in Peru. Okay, so, I mean, she's in little Cessna airplanes, these little dirt runways, and it's like, if you don't stop, you hit the mountain, or you go off the mountain, or you go into the river. Um, So, she has to be very precise in what she does. And she's like Superwoman, because she's a nurse, you know, a pilot, and if that plane breaks down, well, who's going to fix it? Yeah, she's a mechanic, too, and a mom of three, and, you know, she's like, okay... (laughs) <laughs> All right, Jesus has blessed you. Okay, you know, but but um, myself, I you know, I don't ha- I don't really get any great joy about being way above you know the earth or being you know thirty thousand feet above with no parachute. The, you know, the, the little life seat raft like that's gonna you know help me or something. You couldn't put a parachute there for me. I don't know. Um, I, I'd at least feel a little better. Um, and so you know, my prayers used to be like. Again, you know, Lord, um, I know being with you would be great, but I'd like to live, so safe, you know, travels and everything. But it's more about me. And so now my prayers are like, when I travel or when I fly, you know, to Mexico or whatever, it's like, okay, Lord, you know, my wife and particularly my kids, you know, I don't want them to be without me. I want to be there to, you know, provide for them, protect them, to help them navigate this. World that we live in that is you know full of pitfalls and full of trouble, and so it changes so i'm not going to try to preach you this morning that if you wouldn't rather be dead right now and with Jesus that you're somehow unholy or you're you know not, your heart's not in the right place, but I do want to kind of give the contest of the why why would you rather be here than there is it? for the Lord's glory and for others, or is it just, you know, selfish motives? Because you believe that the Lord still has things for you to do here on this earth. And if it wasn't for those things, and if it wasn't for those responsibilities that you have to the Lord and to other people, that, I mean, your preference certainly would be to be with Jesus and to see him face to face and to be at his feet. And so if we take away the work that you still feel that the Lord has for you to do or the people that you still feel you have responsibility in the Lord for, if we take that away, is the desire still not to be with the Lord? And if that's the case, then you know that's when we have to start questioning, where's my real heart? Do I really long for Jesus? Do I grown for him. He says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. So whether I'm here on this earth or you know, with the Lord face to face, the goal is to still be the same and that goal is to be well-pleasing to him. That goal is to be well-pleasing to him. Now, again, we go back to that motivation and just the call for us to be thinking bigger picture. So often we think, you know, I've got this test that I've got to take. or I've got this paper that's due or I've got this project at work that I need to accomplish or I've got you know, to clean the house and, you know, do yard work and do these other things. And we kind of tend to take those things as they are just as like this individual thing. And we oftentimes fail to see it in the bigger context. And really even in the bigger context of eternity. And that's the, you know, we want to kind of, you know, you want to think bigger picture. You want to think bigger picture than just the task that you have to do today. Or Just the next you know thing the, that sense of of urgency of something is due or somebody is asking something from you, and we want to think bigger picture to you know five years out, ten years out, you know down the road, twenty years out down the road, but much more even than that, and much more pertinent for our lives on a daily basis is to be thinking about the big picture of eternity and that hey, this life is temporary. This tent is temporary. Eternity is forever. And am I living in such a way here and now today that is well-pleasing to Jesus? At the end of my day, does Jesus say, yeah, I'm well-pleased with you know, your heart today and your attitude today and your priority today and your focus and how you treated other human beings how you did your work, and that's really how we need to be evaluating things, thinking bigger picture, and that's hard for us to do, I was telling somebody about this the other day that, you know, with, um, you know, my wife Claire working for UGA, and the Lord's blessed her, and she's gotten to, you know... She, when she started working there, when we first got married it was like 12 years ago. She was a clerk three. University of Georgia doesn't have anything that low anymore. You can't be a, you couldn't be a clerk three if you wanted to be a clerk three because there's no position called a clerk three because they looked at it one day and went that's too low, and the pay is you know embarrassing for the university. So, I'm mean, just telling you the truth. But really, she had a teaching degree. She could have been a teacher, at, you, know, uh, you know, she had an offer and everything for that, but really felt the Lord wanted to do something else. So she just, you know, gets her foot in the door at UGA. And then she's been blessed with other opportunities. But something with that is that she doesn't work just saying, Am I going to please my boss today? Or am I doing my job, like my task today and getting it done? She's actually proving she can do the next job. Does that make sense? The next opportunity, she's proving she can already do that today. And so that's an example of how we can think bigger picture, you know, just in our daily like, life. But I hope that we can take it much even bigger than that to that eternal perspective saying, today I'm working for eternity. What I do today matters for eternity. And I don't just mean work, like, yes, at your work, do that. But the whole day, your interaction with your kids or with your roommates or with your classmates or with whatever it is, your kids you know, doing laps up here right now over our heads, and it's all good, because we hope that one day they're going to grow up with this mentality that we've we've modeled for them and we've given an example for of you live today in view of eternity. And that doesn't mean that you have to do something quote unquote awesome today or something that changes the world today. You don't have to cure cancer today or like find the cure for that or to you know radically change you know some grand system so that brings about more justice or whatever it is. But today that you are being faithful to what Jesus has on your plate. Today you're being faithful with the people primary and the task secondary that God has given you. Because in whatever we're doing, the people that we are around, we have to keep that in mind that they are eternal and the task is not. The task is going to go away but the people won't. They're eternal beings. And they're going to spend eternity either with God or apart from God. And so um, I'm just going to tell you this. If the Lord calls you to ministry, he calls you to ministry so that you can help people you know, make more of a difference in the spheres of influence that they have, but also that you have still you know, have that responsibility to have people in your life who are not yet followers of Jesus because it's so vital and important. We'll get more into that next week as the second half of this chapter really lines up with that. But if the Lord doesn't call you to quote-unquote ministry, he still called you to ministry, whatever you do, whatever you are. It's supposed to be ministry, and you need to view it as such. You know, so many times I I think we we've bind to to these kind of like good ideas, but they're not really God's ideas. You know, and and one of those ideas is that you know one person is more valuable to the Lord than another. Or one person's, like, efforts for the Lord are more valuable to another. And I have a question for you. Do you really think that God values the person who, you know, is a sanitation worker whose heart, who does it for Jesus? Do you think God values that person less than the heart surgeon who does heart surgery for Jesus? So, again, it's not, the, the big issue isn't what you do and everybody in our world is trying to define you by what you do. The big issue in the world is who you do it for and why you do it. Those are much bigger questions and much more important questions. The what is secondary to the who and the why. But in our tipsy-topsy, you know, sinful world, that's gotten flipped on its head so that what you do defines And we all participate in that sinful game. Because one of the very first questions we ask people is, so what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? When's the last time you asked someone, why are you alive? Okay. What's your purpose in life? Who are you living for? We're content with what? And that's what we ask. What? And we ignore those bigger questions. So I'm going to challenge us to go contrary to our society. When we're meeting people and we're talking to people, yeah, you may still ask, what do you do? But if you ask, what do you do? Follow it up with, why do you do that? Who do you do it for? Probe with those deeper questions. But perhaps that first needs to start within one's own heart. Who and why. Because perhaps there needs to be a reexamination there. Because if you find your value in the what, your value is misplaced. And you're, you're valuing yourself in a completely different way than God values you. And that's always so. Then you're always going to have a miscalculation, a misvaluing. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether absent or present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Now, let me make a couple things clear that are really, really important here. first question is what is this judgment seat of Christ? For humans, there basically, there's two really big judgments that people need to be aware of. The first is the great white throne judgment. That one's terrifying. Um, you don't have to worry about being at that one if you are a believer in Jesus. If Jesus is your savior, you will not be at the great white throne judgment. Like That's not for you. That's for those who reject Christ, and then they're judged according to their works and cast away. The judgment seat of Christ, it's really the, the Greek there is the Bima, you know, the Bima seat. And the idea that's being given, you know, at this time you have the Greek games. And so after the competition, you know, they the ones who win, you know, receive a, you know, like a they receive like a wreath something like that, they were on their head, and, you know, the sign that they had been victorious. And so, but only those who, you know, performed well would get that reward. So the idea here is that what we do, and again, the what isn't nearly as important as the who and the why, the attitude of the heart, the condition of the heart, but it's going to be evaluated by Jesus at his judgment seat. And you'll receive for the things done, again, in this, this body, this physical temporary tent. How'd you live here on the earth? And really what's in, what's in view is from when you believed in Jesus and came to know him, and you passed from death to life, from that point forward, I think is really what's under evaluation here. I think you're going to be evaluated for the things that you had done, you know, just in your sinful flesh. But now that you've known the Lord, with that comes a responsibility to live for the Lord. So you're going to receive according to what you've done in this earthly tent, whether good and some of the translations say bad. There, really, the better idea is worthless. You know, is it going to be like gold and silver that, you know, passes the test? Or is it like hay and stubble, which just gets burned up? It's worthless. It's, you know, done away with it. Doesn't, it doesn't last. It doesn't have value. I don't think that anybody of us want to be at the judgment seat of Christ and not have gold and silver, to, you know, when our life is evaluated, things that stand the test, that it would, if it's all, you know, stray and stubble and we say, you know, man, I was really active but I got nothing to show for it. I was really busy. My days were very full, but because it wasn't for the purpose of Jesus, it was just busyness. So it, it has to be what's you know, done for the purpose of Christ, for his glory, for his honor, to be well-pleasing to him. And then it's, I mean, it's even like the tiniest thing to give a cup of cold water to someone. Small thing is viewed as valuable if it's done for Jesus, if it's done, you know, with that heart for Him. Big or little, it's all valuable. But the things that aren't done for the Lord, I mean, they're basically worthless. And so maybe we should take some inventory of the parts of our lives. I mean, and maybe just keep a log for a couple of days. Everything, you know, you do in the day and then at the end of it go, okay, what's worthless for Jesus? Now, the problem with anything, anything like that, if you ever try to do that with a budget, you're like, okay, I'm spending a little too much money here so I'm going to try to keep track of it for a couple of days. Well, in those couple of days, you're like, well, I really don't spend that much because you're really like, hyper, you know, sensitive to it. So, you know, we have to give like an honest evaluation. So maybe even take the last couple of days and go, you know, what did I how do i use my time cuz time is really that commodity that you know we all have the same amount of cuz we each get 24 hours, four hours in a day how we use it for god's glory and you know for the betterment of other people is really really key and so what's going to last and count for that and again it's it's not so much the what but the why and the heart The purpose and the heart behind it. Last thing, verse eleven says, "Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust are also well known in your consciences." So, I want to take this a couple of different, two different ways. One is you know because he's about to get into this whole deal about you know being ambassadors for Christ and you know having the ministry to reconcile people to God and. You know, part of that motivation is he knows how powerful and holy God is. Knowing the fear of the Lord. And a lot of times people take that fear of the Lord and they, they you know, should I fear God? You know, I don't want to always, you know we talked about earlier about like always being afraid. Like, oh, I'm going to mess up or you know, lose my salvation or something like that. That's really not what's in view here. But what is in view, view here is the, a fear that's representative of like reverence for God. And understanding how great he really is. And there may come some actual fear and trembling with that. If God right now showed us all of his glory, I mean, there wouldn't be a single one of us that wasn't on our face before God trembling. Because that's how awesome and powerful he is. You know, think about Moses at the you know, burning bush. He took off his sandals and, I mean, he, he was prostrate before God we see John the Baptist with Jesus you know even prophesying about Jesus coming he says one comes after me of whom you know the sandal strap I am not worthy to loosen so there is that understanding of like deep reverence and respect for God Father Son Holy Spirit that whenever we I mean when we're in God's presence we're in the presence of someone so far higher and greater and holier, and more powerful that we are, that yes, there's a need to fall on one's face. Yes, it would be natural to tremble in awe of God. And yet at the same time, I just want you to think about this. John the Baptist said, he's a prophet of God and he says he's not worthy to loosen the strap on Jesus' sandal and yet Jesus not only pays for our sins and cleanses us but he invites us to eat at his table we're not worthy to loosen the strap on his sandal we're not and yet he invites us to eat at his table to have fellowship with him. That blows my mind because that's like beyond grace. It's like you almost feel like any word that we would have is inadequate to describe what is happening there. When the king of all glory, when the you know, creator of the universe invites us to sit at his table, and to fellowship with him. That's mind-blowing. And that's a privilege that we have. But again, we also understand, because of God's holiness, and yes, Jesus did pay for the sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2.2. 2. But that those who reject that payment, those who do not you know, receive it, the gift that God's given, that, that the payment of Jesus would pay their debt, then the same one who invites us for fellowship at his table is one to truly be terrified of because of his holiness and his power and that sin cannot be in his presence. And those who reject him and reject his place as Savior and King, will not be able to be in his presence. Again, it's not because Jesus doesn't want them there, but because they refused. they refused him. So what Jesus, talking about John the Baptist and his ministry, is what Jesus said about the Pharisees, that they rejected the will of God for their lives. And so God's preference is certainly grace. God's preference is certainly mercy. God's preference is fellowship with us. But some will, in their hardness of hearts and in their sinful pride, refuse to humble themselves, refuse to be given anything, even from the one who has given us everything. And so that's what we'll get into more next week about the role that we have who are followers of Jesus to help people be reconciled to God. And that's the ministry that we all have, and it's amazing. But for now, rest in and sit in the reality of how awesome Jesus is, that we're not worthy to loosen the strap on his sandal, and yet... One day, those of us who know him will sit at his table and eat with him. Fellowship intimately with him. And as a picture of that, of that reality, as a remembrance of that reality, we have, that, we have the bread and the cup here with us this morning that represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And what that does for us, it's past, present, future. The past, it reminds us that Jesus, in the past, died for our sins and paid our price. So we remember the cost of our salvation, and we give thanks. And then we examine the present, and we say, are there any sins that I need to confess? Is there any attitude of the heart that I need to confess? Is there anything in my life that is not well-pleasing to the Lord that I need to confess? And we confess that, and we ask for the strength, even today, to live for Jesus, to live for him as our Savior and King. And then we look to that future when we will be at his table and around his throne, at his table, I should say, and we're going to not need the remembrance anymore of the bread and the cup because the Lamb of God will be with us. And so it reminds us of our future, of our permanent hope, of our confident hope of who we have in Jesus and that he will not abandon us. That confidence that we have that if I don't make it home, as we sang earlier, what we sang earlier, don't cry for me, I'll be home and I'll be free. I see how we say, it doesn't matter where you bury me? Why? Why doesn't it matter? Why doesn't it matter where you bury me? Because this whole journey that I'm on here on this earth, it's in a tent. It's in a tent. This isn't permanent. This isn't eternal. It's temporary. So wherever you bury me, My spirit is going to go be with Jesus. My body is someday going to be resurrected. And it really doesn't matter what you do to that body, what anybody does to that body between when I die and when Jesus resurrects me because God spoke the whole world into being, the whole universe into being. So he's capable. So he's not going to abandon us. Like Jesus is real and he is for us, and he is our hope. He is our past, he's our present, he's our future, he's everything to us. The challenge that we have is to, that's, the, that's the, what we call the theological reality. The challenge for us is to live it, today, tomorrow, the next day, in our practical reality. The rub of life. And if what, we, if what you believe, if what you believe doesn't affect, doesn't change radically, the Monday through Saturday, then there's a couple of different options. One is don't actually believe it. It's just like a mental ascent, but you haven't really come to grips with it in the reality, the deepest core of who you are. That's one possibility. The second possibility is we're being traitors to what we know is true, or that we're trying to do it on our own without actually the help and fellowship of Jesus moment by moment. And another possibility is that we've put things on this earth as more valuable than Jesus. We've put a relationship and made another person more valuable than Jesus. We've put a career goal and made that career goal more valuable than Jesus. We've put some form of entertainment as more valuable than Jesus. We have a misplaced priority. Sometimes, well, I know you're like me. Sometimes you kind of wake up to that and go, whoa, that's not good. But don't stay there and don't just wallow in the fact that you were there. Turn to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you now and we thank you. we thankful that you first loved us and sent your Son for us. God, we know that if we were just left to our own devices, we would have never have known you. So we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has convicted us of our sin in days past and when we realized that we didn't have you. That we weren't yours. That we were actually your enemies and that we had to humble ourselves and give up our arms and accept your forgiveness and your gift of Jesus Lord, I'm so thankful that we can't earn your favor, your salvation. But Lord, we can receive your salvation and then we can live in a way that does please you. And so Lord, show us the things in our lives today that don't please you. Show us the attitudes that we have, the habits that we have, the entertainment that we have, the priorities that we have, any of those things, Lord, that you're just fed up with in our lives that really have no place. We thank you for your patience because you are a long-suffering God. But help us not to abuse your patience. Help us to respect you, to have reverence for you, knowing that you are God. And Jesus, we all know in our deepest core that we aren't worthy to untie your sandal strap. And yet you invite us to your table that will be with you face to face for all of eternity. But Right now, even you are with us in spirit. You are here, Jesus. And you invite us to take the bread and to take the cup and to remember you. And Lord, we say thank you. And we say we're not even worthy to take it, Lord. But thank you that you've made us worthy. Help us to live in a way that pleases you, Jesus. Lord, help us as a church that we would always seek to please you and to strive for your name. Lord, help us. Help us, we pray. Not to sell out. Help us not to take the easy way out. Help us not to take the selfish way out. But Lord, that we would surrender to you fully, without reservation. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.